everybody. Welcome to yet another episode of Building Public Podcast. And today I'm thrilled to invite one of my favorite consumer B2B, I guess, uh, one of my favorite founders on Twitter, is Building Pallet. Welcome to the show, Kai. Thanks so much for having me, KP. I'm, I'm excited to be here. So a little bit of a background before we dive into our conversation. So Kai and I connected through Twitter, which I think increasingly is the new entry point to the metaverse, right? That's where we're all yeah. forming relationships and, you know, building networks. But we had a uh, phenomenal first chat and I was very fascinated by what uh, him and his team were building in the space of social versioning of, of a recruitment agency. And I, before I butcher it further, I would love for him to introduce Palette to our, our audience. Tell us about Palette. Yeah. So Palette was founded on and kind of created on this belief that increasingly there are these sort of like watering holes or like digital centers of gravity online where professionals or talented people are congregating. Whereas before most of these watering holes were in person, now a large chunk of those things are actually happening online. So you have Slack communities of engineering leaders, you have newsletters that product managers read, you've got things like on deck, obviously. Um, and so there's all of even, even like a Twitter following, right? And so there's all these places that you have a sort of definable grouping of professionals hanging out for one reason or another. And we looked at those as being a very sort of exciting avenue for like recruiting, like a potential recruiting. And so basically what we want to do is, you know, right, like let's say you have the Slack community, you've got 5,000 DevOps engineers in there. That's a great source of talent for any company to tap into. But the tools and, and, the, and the processes behind that are pretty much lacking today. They don't exist. And so basically what we do is we sort of, we define ourselves as like a recruiting infrastructure company, right? Like we provide infrastructure for anyone to set up like a, a recruiting business and a sort of more modern version of a recruiting business, I'd say even. And so basically what that looks like is, you know, we let people easily post jobs and curate roles for their audience and monetize off of that. We let people recommend candidates to hiring companies, build out like referral networks, you name it, it works, right? Like whatever you might want to do in recruiting, we want to be that sort of tool that lets you set that up, like Shopify for recruiting basically. I love it. I mean, the the part that piqued my interest last time, but it was the first time when I first heard about Palette was how much of a refreshing, like from the UX and UI perspective, how much of a refreshing change it was to have a job board, you know, but that's like curated and customizable, you know, by a community leader, right? And this was almost like unprecedented in, in many ways, because traditionally, like, you know, if you work in tech and if you're at a startup and, you know, you have, you knew like, oh, there were like these seven jobs that I know that are so awesome. These seven companies, I wish people would join these. You would have to go to their lever or LinkedIn post and then put them into a thread. And it was such a hassle. And with, with Palette, you basically sort of can like search for the company, exactly go to that exact listing and then put it in, you know, surface it and then use that Palette URL wherever you publish content, like newsletter, podcast, um, show notes, or on your Twitter threads, right? So it's just skipped so many steps. And it's just a neat way. The, the other thing that I loved was that you actually can track stuff, which you couldn't do if, you know, if I was just using a bunch of lever links or um, LinkedIn posts. There's no way I would assess which of my posts is doing really well. Yeah. You know, right? And so the clicks you show us, like, tell us a little bit more on the, on the infrastructure, like what kind of things you surface on, on, a, on a job board. Yeah. So, so I think like, uh, the, the way that we like to think about it is, you know, there's a lot of what you do online says something about your preferences, career-wise, work-wise, and the content you consume in the communities you're part of are a big part of that, right? Yep. So if I'm spending a lot of time in no-code communities, probably says that I'm interested in no-code. Right. right. So, um, being able to get service jobs that match the rest of your experience online was something that we really wanted to do with the job board. Um, and then conversely, on the actual like analytics side, we wanted to give the sort of community leader or the creator 
insight into their audience and, and their audience's values, right? So like, let's say you started to notice that on average product management roles got an outsized amount of applications and clicks, you know, that gives you some insight into the, the sort of work preferences and career preferences that your audience might display. And you might be able to tailor some content around that. You might be able to right. some sort of additional value on, on that vector. Right. Again, it's there's so much potential here. I mean, you probably saw my excitement last time too. I was like, the moment I, I heard about it, I was like, it really got to understand what it was. I jumped in and, you know, I'm, um, I have a board as well. I have a palette board. It's called Curated by KP. So thanks for, you know, setting it up. It's definitely an experimental thing, but I want to like invest more time and energy into it and uh, grow it in the long run. So tell me a little bit about, I know, so this is palette, right? But tell t- tell me the story of Kai. Like what what were you doing the last five years? What brought you to palette? Yeah, it's probably a little a little less interesting than the story of palette. But so I was, uh, I was in college last year. Um, I graduated last June. I grew up in New York City. So started my sort of professional life when I was about 16, I was like interning at this like quantitative hedge fund. And that's sort of where I first was exposed to like different technologies and stuff like that. Uh, and I remember just sort of working there and I was like, you know, typing up different like little, nothing, nothing actual like heavy on the trading desk, like just more doing research. So I was typing up like these different like algorithms and doing sort of reports on those. And one of the MDs there was like, Hey, like you have to learn how to build like web apps fully. Like this is what, this is what the future is. And so I took that and I, I, I never actually really took that advice because I, I'm still not, I, I can't build web apps very well today, but I, I sort of dove into that world. I learned a bit. I did a bit of bootcamp stuff and, and I, I really found that, yeah, was really just interested in the space overall. So that's how I got first interested in tech. And then when I went to college, I was an econ major and, and I ended up specializing in labor economics. So labor economics was something that I found really fascinating specifically because it's it's really like the underpinning of almost every sort of macroeconomic sort of policy, like, like labor is the thing that makes everything else go. And so really was fascinated by labor economics. I was also the president of the like the blockchain club uh, at my university. And so there was this aspect where like, cool, like increasingly as people come online, like this decentralization is becoming more and more prevalent. And so I was super into decentralization. I was super into labor. And then I remember when I went to go find a job for the first time, like apply online really, it ended up just being like a huge letdown of an experience. Like it sort of felt like, hey, there's all this stuff that I do. Like I spend all this time looking at all these different things and I go on LinkedIn or Indeed and I, I get this search bar and says like, hey, type in what you want to know. I'm like, I can't really type in like- Seven types, yeah, yeah. yeah. Decentralization company, right? Like none, none of that stuff exists. And so I thought there was really a massive hole. And, and in addition, all of the stuff that I was participating in, in these different clubs at college and, and doing all these different extracurriculars, none of that was translating really into, into definable job search advantages. And so I thought there, there, there was a way that you could build a better overall sort of, not just job search, but career recruiting ecosystem that was much more driven around this, these principles of decentralization and, and matching where people were actually spending time and where people were spending effort in their life. And so that's how we got to Palette and we, were sort of, we sort of wanted to build this, uh, always we wanted to build this sort of ecosystem of a lot of little micro recruiting businesses. And initially the way that we, we thought about doing that was to build a consumer product and then sort of build off of that. And so the consumer product was like curated playlists of jobs where you could sort of follow a bunch of jobs that were you know, top startups in NYC. We found that to be hard to virally grow and scale and so um, quickly after a few months being in market, we immediately said, okay, let's sort of refocus our go-to-market and focus first on the infrastructure and going directly to these communities and then sort of taking it from there. I definitely love the uh, the latter approach. I'm sure it came, of course, through trying and and error, right? Or trying the other one first. But it, it feels to me like it's pretty poignant that you and you landed on this particular realization because if, if you think of what Stripe has done, for payment infrastructure on the internet, right? Completely radicalized and changed the way we, you know, think about payments, you know? 
before Stripe and after Stripe. And of course, Stripe is not just one product. There's like several mini tools that Stripe has, including Stripe Atlas, you know, which is a different product. But I think there is a play that's similar to that for recruiting. Because right now, most recruiting is still in the dark ages, you know, and I, I work at On Deck and I've recruited a couple of people on my team. It was like blood and tears. It was so freaking hard Right. And broken and old school. And I'm like, I can't believe that this is how like, you know, you have to go through the lever stuff. You have to go through the LinkedIn, like posting. And I'm like, God, it feels so stuck in the dark ages. Like it hasn't been renovated, modernized. And so definitely huge opportunity, really bullish on what you guys are doing. Now, in terms of the evolution of product, right? And, and this is something we touched on. You, you mentioned just before the interview, there was an evolution that you're sitting on right now, right? Is going from job boards to talent curation. So what is that like and why? Yeah. So, so the job boards are always going to be an important part of what we do. We always knew that job boards were like the most basic level of what you could do recruiting wise. And so always for us, the job board was like a wedge into the market. Like, hey, job boards are really easy. People can understand it. Like, let's go really publicly launch this job board and sort of you know, build up our own brand and build up our own awareness um, with a job board, which is easy to adopt. There's almost no reason to turn down running a job board, right? Right. Your audience is never going to get mad at you. You can make some good money and you're doing good for the world. So for us, that was like, cool. This is a great wedge into the market. Now that we've sort of um, started to like spread our roots around the, the ecosystem, um, we're really looking at building kind of like, like with Stripe, like the, the further tools that are more impactful and sort of more dynamic and help really place hires more often. So for us, what that looks like in the immediate next step is going from job curation and adding a layer, which is what we're calling like talent curation, right? And so this would be in the, like, let's take you as a canonical example, you are sort of this no code expert. Uh, with job curation, what you're doing is you're saying, hey, to my audience, here are all the jobs in no code that I can recommend and I could vouch for. With talent curation, you're sort of saying, hey, to all the companies who are looking to hire talent, here's a group of 20 or 50 people in the no code space that I can vouch for either personally or I've reviewed their material or someone I trust has referred them to me. And when you get to that point, you're, you're almost like you're getting right to the meat of the hiring process, right? Which is like businesses want to see a list of candidates who are open to conversations. Candidates want businesses to directly request introductions to them and want to see exactly who they can talk to. And so that's the sort of next step in the funnel that we're building out. But there's still a lot more stuff to do, even, even, even after the talent duration, I would say. I'm sure you won't stop at that step. But I think that itself, definitely, as I uh, remarked at the beginning uh, with you before we started, it's definitely a whole new spin on and how recruiting is being approached right now. And I'm very excited about it because if you ask me at any point of day, like I said, KP, like, well, who are your top 15 no-code recommendations? I can give you that. But it, as a creator, as a community leader, like if I have to spend time curating my job board, I can do it, but it's like, like I said, stable stakes, right? Yeah. It's not really adding disproportionate advantage and value to the companies, Yeah. right? And the same thing with building public. Like I know the seven to eight people who are blowing up in building public so if there's, if there's Morning Brew who wants to hire the next marketer, or if there's, I don't know, Main Street who wants to hire the next growth person, I know them, but they're like, you know, it's, it's hard. There's no way for me to initiate the conversation today, unless there's something like this talent curation opportunity. So definitely exciting. I'm really curious to see how that plays out. The other thing that I actually um, personally experienced, and I want to hear your thoughts on it, is Kai. So my story, I don't know how much you know about my backstory. So basically, I spent six to seven years in corporate. And uh, I was in the product teams at like Turner and all these, you know, Delta Airlines and all these other companies. And I was just, I hated the dead end life. I wanted to be in startups. I always knew as a talent, right? I always knew that I had, I was a high quality. I was definitely an aspirational person. Like I always had aspirations, but I really, when the time came for me to like switch to startups and being 
employable and hireable and desirable by startups, it feels like there's a difference in how you market to a corporate company or like a corporate career, as opposed to marketing and being, you know, sort of signaling to a startup, startup world, right? And that chasm, I think now, of course, now it's like obvious to me, like I'm like, now I work at OnDeck, I know everything inside and outside, but it was almost a, a mountain that I had to climb back in the day, you know? Yeah. And this is something that I see as a pattern. I have so many people on my audience on Twitter, 20,000 plus and on podcasts everywhere. I know that they would make amazing startup hires if only they knew how to like communicate their strengths and talents, et cetera, in the lingo, in the jargon, but also not just jargon, in the, in the lens that the startups want you to embrace. Totally. So when I hear like startups complain, like there's a pipeline problem, there's like, you know, lack of high quality candidates. And I'm like, no, 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 there are actually high quality candidates out there in the world. There's so many out there. There's so yeah. many KPs from 2018 are hanging out there, right? But they haven't crossed the bridge. How do you think about this? And is this true? Like, is this just my thing or yeah? No, completely true. I, I think it's sort of this, you know, I think for a long time in the recruiting space, and specifically recruiting tech, and, and even still today, the majority of efforts are being placed towards making the sort of gatekeepers of the world more objective, right? And which sounds like really great, right? Like, so the ATS, right? right. Like automated candidate matching, this type of stuff. Like, we'll build the tech and the data for your application portal to understand and be able to service the right people. The truth of the matter, and sort of like any with any sort of automated candidate matching type of thing, is ultimately with hiring people don't look at statistics and data people sort of it's very much a signaling thing it's very yeah. much like a hey do, do the right people say that they vouch for this person you know if you work at google that's google saying that they vouch for you right and so it's very much a signaling game and, and when, when we think about it in that sense like as weird as it sounds like we're not trying to make the gatekeepers more objective we're trying to make a million times more gatekeepers in period yeah right? Right. Nice. Which, which sounds kind of like counterintuitive, but when you say, hey, now there's all of these people that are sort of quote unquote gatekeepers and you can trust KP and KP says that this person who, who seems like a corporate person is actually really great. Hopefully that builds enough sort of conviction on your end, especially if you trust KP that you can make the hire. And so that's really what we're trying to do. And, and so sort of spread that out and sort of like the experience that we want to create, you know, the end state is, you know, someone from anywhere in the world could join a discord server. Right. And they participate really well and they contribute really well and they, and they sort of impress the right people and they sort of just provide value. And as a result, they get added to a, maybe like a curated talent pool on Palette and they have a world of economic opportunity in front of them because the signal right. is there. Um, yeah. And, and oh my God, I mean, and, and with the social mobility there, right? Like someone like, you know, one of the hires we made at On Deck was this ODNC1, the program I run, ODNC1 of the first cohort, uh, Vensi. Shout out Vensi if she's listening. <laughs> she lives and works in Hyderabad, you know, which is India where I came from. But that opportunity wouldn't have, that door wouldn't have been unlocked if she didn't participate in the On Deck no-code community and like display to us, to the team, the recruiting team, everybody, her skill set, which is she's amazing at no-code amazing at community, et cetera. And, and I think that's what I'm personally passionate about, you know, um, whether it happens through Palette or it happens as a movement. I'm really passionate about like, you know, putting more people in business. Eric Turnberg has as, as a phrase where like he talks about putting more people in business, giving more people their shots. And I personally think that like as someone who got the shot, right? From, from like going, like, if you look at my resume before on deck, it was just like a bunch of random shit, you know? Like it's definitely not startup pedigree backed. It's like no Google, no Excel, VC fund or whatever. It was just like a bunch of random shit that I did. And I think going from potential to pedigree has been life-changing. And I'll tell you this because once you get the conviction, once you're in the pedigree, you do all kinds of crazy things. I have a podcast now. I have a Twitter following, all these things, right? So I'm wondering how many millions are out there, you know, not just in America, 
but like across the world who are tech savvy, right? They're like the startup savvy, but they're in the dark because they're going through the LinkedIn portals. Exactly. And they're applying through like the ADS system, which is rigged in one yeah. way, right? Because it's like freaking algorithmic game. Like I have to use the right keyword. Is exactly. it no dash code or no code? Like one word, like, you know what I mean? Exactly. As opposed to joining a community or joining a newsletter or really displaying my contributions, my value. And then the curator or whoever like recommends say, hey, yeah, you would be a great fit for a company like this, right? Yeah. And, and it's sort of like, it's kind of like the way that the world has almost always worked, right? Like, where it's just like, hey, like, oh, like, you know, when your parents would tell you, like, just go to the lobby of the building and impress the right, right people, right? Like, right. like that, that used to be acceptable. And that used to actually be like a real thing that happened. But obviously, the modern world is not about that anymore. And so like, you when you say like, you go from potential to pedigree, like as a result of also getting a, a certain level of pedigree, you now have the, the, the opportunity to give back to other people. Yes, and they live it or down. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's not anybody's it's not anybody's fault, right? Like, I don't want to say that like businesses are evil or ATSs are evil. The, the, the reason that this happens is that like the competition for talent is so fierce that the opportunity cost of making the wrong hire is so great that businesses will oftentimes go and depend on probably in order. One, do they have a trusted referral? Two, do they have like a, a great pedigree? You know, so on and so forth down the line. And so like to your point, like I, I think that's a, a feeling that you're never going to be able to get rid of. And so the best place to do it is, hey, like let's, let's oil the gears for this sort of like, you know, tr circle of trust and let's create a right. bunch of new little pipelines that, that anyone can tap into and anyone can join. And hopefully like, you know, like the, the sort of the next version of go to the lobby and impress the right people is kind of like, you know, join a community or join a bootcamp or join a fellowship and impress the right people, like, like right. whatever it might be. And I just think there has to be some sort of like, you know, you have to really think about how to build the right tools for other people to do this. Right. Uh, and it's so much about this is actually even just having the right kind of platform slash tool to express and like turn your aspirations into legible potential. Like, for example, like uh, Balaji S talks about this all the time. He talks about how like the future is going to be in the blockchain, a proof of work. Right. And actually, if I look back at the way I was hired at on deck, like I wrote this thread. I don't know if you've seen it, but like I wrote a giant thread that basically talked about my journey and what kind of, you know, strengths I have and even weaknesses I have. And I put a link to all of my projects, my tweets, right? And each project had linked to how many subscribers were there and all that. So it was very like legible. I turned my talents into a legible proof of work thing. Somebody can objectively look at it and say, oh, that was impressive. Well, it's not just one project. There's like 13 projects. Wow, this person really invested, right? Now, I think so many times when I see someone applying for, for when we have jobs at on deck, which is generally is that they're just putting in their LinkedIn resume and it's almost impossible to sift through. Like I went to school, like I went to Vanderbilt, by the way, but that doesn't matter in startups. Like unless you went to Stanford, right? Yeah. So it's like, it, there's not much that is proof of work that I can actually see what you would do, the kind of work you would do it at, at the company level that I can learn from your resume. So to me, a resume is an artifact of the old school thinking. There has to be some way to like, you know, innovate beyond resumes. And part of it is, is I'm wondering how proof of work could be made legible. Yeah. Right. Yeah. With, let me give you an example. With developers, it's really easy. Open source. Yeah. GitHub, right. Go check out my GitHub profile. But how do you bring such legibility to other non-developer professions yeah. and talent? Exactly. It's interesting. And, and it's funny because still even, so, so where I think that sort of proof of work and like, I'm definitely, Balaji is definitely a million X smarter than me. Um, so, so I'm not going to necessarily disagree because it's super important to be able to have like verifiable proof of work. Where I think it starts to become tricky is that right now, publicly sort of um, like, like being able to, to have like a, a dedicated stamp of the, the work you've done in an application sets you apart from someone else. Yes. 
the sources of alpha like that tend to dry up, right? Like if you have a good source of like, let's say like, you know, TikTok, like any sort of source of alpha will, will always dry up whenever it becomes more, more popular, right? So eventually probably everyone will have proofs of work. And then what you'll need is people to sort of go and review that work. And, and then yeah. you sort of like eventually like then the resume. And so we are super huge fans of proof of work, especially when that proof of work is accompanied by a vouch from someone who's trusted. Yeah. Right? Hey, not only did this person contribute to the open source, repo, but they did a really great job. And right. you don't have to go through their whole entire code base because I did, and you know me and you trust me, right? So right. right. I think that accompaniment will always be important of some sort. Um, I think that sort of cosine is almost like, a, it's the proxy, right? Of a proof of work. Like for example, like if you're, if you're a sales leader or if you're trying to recruit for um, a hiring position, Exactly. How do you recruit for a hiring position when that person can't legibly like showcase that, hey, I'm a great HR person? How like what does that mean? Right. Like exactly. it's not code. That, exactly. that person, right. So I think in that situation, really that co-sign coming from a previous manager or a coworker or even a community yeah. uh, contributor or a co-collaborator, that is the proxy for approval work. Right. So I think what you're saying is there's a social dynamic there, regardless, unless think- it's like code. Yeah. Yeah, but, but I think even with code, right? Like, if yeah. you get the application. Is it clean code? Is it well-written, well-documented? Yeah. Yeah. And and so, like, that being said, right, like, when you get into the sort of cosine part, you really want to make sure that you build in the right disincentives to, like, you want to make sure that actually cosigning someone is, at base level, a negative to your experience on power, which is, again, I feel like a little counterintuitive. If there's initial, if there's a cost to cosign someone, whether that's your reputation on Palette anywhere else, whether that's the sort of percentage of earnings you might earn somewhere, right? Like if there is an initial cost to co-sign someone that can be earned back if it then proves to be- a The right kind of bet. Right. Right. Kind of, right, like you almost want to stake a portion of your reputation, a portion yeah. of your earnings, something on the co-sign. Yeah. Because if you don't do that where it becomes kind of tricky is that- um, People just dilute it, right? People just dilute that social capital. I mean, I think that's brilliant. I mean, I, I can think of my own personal example and there's, I mean, there's like five or six or seven people I brought it on deck. Like there's our current head of growth, Charlotte Reza, was nowhere in our radar. And he was somebody that I had a podcast with just like this. And he interviewed me. And the next day I kind of had a feeling that he was looking for something new. So yeah. this is the shit that I'm talking about. Like when you talk to other people, like the, uh, the watering hose, be a podcast, be it a Twitter, it you kind of know that they're looking for the next thing. Yeah. And then, and I knew we had a growth opening uh, at OnDeck. I was like, oh, it's a perfect opportunity. Next day, literally, I emailed him. And now he's our head of growth, got a promotion. So that's amazing. The, the, so that's what I'm talking about. I think currently this behavior is not documented, right? Like only Reza and I know that this happened between us. Of course, like his boss knows, but I'm not getting any social credit no. as a person who's believing and betting on some early stage. Like same with Vinci, same with like Janelle, who's like on my team. There's so many people like this is not just on deck. I'm like beyond on deck that I've taken multiple bets on people who are unproven because I see potential because I've been in their shoes and exactly. I can kind of correlate it to pedigree. Because exactly. to me, pedigree is not rocket science. I, everybody now thinks like, I'm sure you know this too. Like you're sitting on a well VC funded company, but you're like the same guy three years ago, yeah. right? Like it's like, I, I didn't grow a third arm. People like think, oh my God, like, yeah, yeah, building public. Yeah, great. But I'm the same guy. I was literally the same guy three years ago, Kai, and nobody gave a shit. Exactly. I feel personally offended by that to the millions of people who are right now listening to this and feel like they're undiscovered. It's not that it's your fault. It's the system's fault, right? It's the way it's set up. And so you have to navigate the labyrinth carefully. And like, you know, like if you get a lucky break, then you're starting the other end. And now you're like, oh, I have pedigree. But I think that's broken. Like there has to be some way. 
and maybe it's crypto maybe it's i think there has to be the i, I feel our kids shouldn't have this shitty problem no. where, where where like if you're like the one of the first few people to believe in crypto punks right or 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 uh, whatever that is or if you discovered coldplay right today's version of coldplay yeah. at, a, at a local coffee shop there should be some way that you should be getting an upside of the of their trajectory yeah yeah and, I mean. and, and similarly i would say like it's a better way you know, some sort of cosine type of proof of work type of thing. It, it's a better way. Like you're saying, it's like a better version of a resume. Like I could really present my whole self. Right. Um, and agreed. Like you should have some sort of upside in the way that we think about that sort of like the transaction. Like it's it, not necessarily on the pure like ISA side of things. It's more right. so like, you know, you, you form these different like collectives of people and there's earnings that's distributed. Um, but agreed, like you should totally have an upside. And then not only that, now that you've sort of proven to be quite good at spotting hidden talent, like your word and your vouch should start to carry even more and more weight, right? right? Now, now, you know, like if you go to someone and you say, Hey, like this guy's really good. I don't know of any roles for him right now, but like you, should, I know that you have a bunch of businesses that are looking like right. that should carry a lot of weight as well. Right. And I think that it, it's not too difficult to, to start to create records of this stuff. Like it's yeah. just about when you set up the right sort of, uh, you set up the right it's system. Structure. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, I mean, it's as simple as like having a way to go back and track and say, okay, I did, I sent this cosign, you know, between these two parties, right? Yeah. As simple as that. And then maybe that, that person's, you know, promotional journey or whatever. I mean, but I feel like all of this is like right now nebulous. It's lost in with no documentation. And I, I know this for a fact that there's thousands of KPs at fast growing companies right? Stripe or, you know, Main Street or Product Hunt, who would have tripled down on what I've done with Reza and Renzi and et cetera, right? If they got some credit for it. Yeah. Or if they had something that they, they felt like, wow, you know, it was meaningful to me. Because right now it's all being run on intrinsic motivation, which yeah. is great. Yeah. But, but I'm like, there has to be some legibility around this. And it's not only about the, I would say the motivation is a huge piece. And then the second piece is probably also um, it's very serendipitous right now. Yeah. Right? Like, like if right. you meet five really great people over the last six months and at the end of the sixth month, the business says, Hey, I'm looking for someone. You might only remember the last person that you talked to. Up the top exactly. Of There's no place to sort of store that and sort of keep track of that and, and grow that and sort of keep on tapping into it. So I think, yeah, completely like you're saying, like one, being able to get credit for it and two, being able to actually almost pacify it. Right. Like it's right. something that you don't necessarily need to think about like in this moment right now, what would I do? But rather like, this is just a, a thing that I, a resource that I have. At, right. To, to I mean, another angle here, a part of your toolkit, I'm sure your toolkit's growing now by now, but like another thing here has been not having a legible people CRM. And I mean, there's like so many attempts at this, right? But they're coming from like a Salesforce approach, but they're trying to take something that's so clunky and massive, like Salesforce and try to like shove it down the throat of a creator slash community leader. And it never works because I don't wake up and I'm like, I'm not like an AE account executive of Salesforce trying to document every interaction I have. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, it doesn't work like that, right? It has to be an organic coming from like a creator first way of a people CRM. I don't think anyone has done that yet. I mean, at least my, yeah. I mean, there's something called clay, but I mean, I haven't, it's not in parlance, you know, in popular parlance. So there's probably something there because to your point, like there's so many people that are run, run into at these watering holes, uh, holes, right? And I'm like, wow, that person's great. That person's growth. They're awesome. This person's awesome in design. Right. David Huang probably knows like 7,000 people. Right. We, we are a lead designer from David Huang's. There we go. So, yeah. I mean, or Pablo Stanley, right. Probably knows like 30,000 people who DM him and like, he knows that they're high potential talent, but they're probably looking for a break and he doesn't know at that moment how to help. Yeah. But if he can track that somehow, and then suddenly like 
envision pings him, you know, and he was like, oh yeah, you should talk to this person, you know? So yeah. I think with the CRM is because I've, I've looked at a lot of like the personal CRMs as well. Like the trick with it is that the second the CRM, the personal CRM gets outdated yeah. versus your contact book, then it don't like, so with us, like that is something we keep in mind really strongly as we build. It's like, Hey, you know, this sort of palette talent pool, there has to be an action that you could do on it that you literally can't do anywhere else. Um, yeah. And so everything that you can do on, on palette is like, you can't, you couldn't do it from your contact book. Right. Like, like that, that's sort of, so it's not right. Like we don't even worry about like storing their information. Like we want specifically the interactions to be like recommending candidates, allowing companies to request introductions, that, that type of flow such that you de-risk the potential that accidentally it moves over into someone's contact book or something like that. But yeah, yeah, I I think it's, and I think the other even interesting point as well is like what's happening now. And there's this sort of whole explosion of like ed tech and like online Mm -hmm. courses and online certifications. It's also hard for those things to build credibility. And it's it's hard to keep those things incentive aligned, right? Like if theoretically every online course had its own unique palette for its graduates and prospective students could really easily see the results and what happened within that palette, you might be able to actually start to get some sort of a, like insights into these different courses and so right. like, hey, like, where do I want to be spending my money? Like, right. you know, this course doesn't even have a palette set up. Like, I don't even know right. what it looks like. This one places 50 people every single trimester, every single cohort, you know? So there's like, there's a bunch of stuff that, that goes around that. And like, obviously on deck is sort of ascended past any of these other things because right. they, such a rocket ship is killing it on so many levels. But like, you know, there might be a lot of smaller ed tech things that could benefit from something. like that. Yeah. I mean, I think there, the, um, you're right about like, there's so many, first of all, CBC is like blowing up man, as a category, right? I mean, there's just so many, it, it is going to continue to attract more creators. So, I mean, that's where I think positioning yourself close to this creator slash community leaders, I think is, is a fantastic go to market uh, move. So a couple additional questions I have, we talked about your recap of the last five years. So, I mean, just to add to the conversation on Palet, share a few, if you have any top of mind wins that you're proud of you know, like some milestones or something that you're excited about? Yeah. So, so we've been running this sort of talent curation tests right now. So doing it really sort of like behind the scenes. Um, but we've gotten at the very least, I think 25 people hired and, and tons of introductions made. Nice. So it's working as a form factor, which is really exciting. There's a lot of stuff to figure out. It's very difficult. But so, so we've been running successful tests around the sort of talent curation. The product MVP is going to be ready in a couple of weeks that we're really excited about. Obviously, we'll, we'll sort of be sharing all this type of stuff online. I think we might keep the, the formal announcement of the, the talent product quiet for a little bit until it's like slightly more developed. But other than that, like where it's sort of all, all full speed ahead right now. And uh, yeah, I mean, just excited about sort of figuring stuff out, right? Like who knows if it's going to work, but it's, I get to do it with a bunch of people that I consider my friends and, and you know, hopefully take a, take a big swing and, and, and get a big fish basically. Right. So I, mean, I was digging into your uh, tweets, old tweets, and I, I found a tweet that I, we both like, definitely <laughs> oh, no. agree on. Two, actually two tweets, but the one that we both definitely agree on is that LinkedIn is screwed broken and there has to be a better LinkedIn. Like there has to be a modern, better LinkedIn, but it won't look like LinkedIn. So you mentioned this a couple of times on your tweets and you, there's a blog post there. How are you thinking about it? Like what, what made you, what prompted you to write about it or think about it and why do we need a better LinkedIn? Yeah. Well, so I think, I think LinkedIn does some things extraordinary. Like it's probably the best CRM ever built. Ever. Like I don't think you're going to, it's going to be really tough to build a new CRM that, that can beat LinkedIn's uh, at least in the immediate future. And so when you look at sort of like what the sort of negatives are about LinkedIn, I think the, the specific thing is that it's actually not particularly well, like any sort of thing that's, let's just take the talent recruiting side of it. One of the running things that we believe in here is that talent and recruiting is an industry where there are negative network effects. Mm. So 
there's, um, you know, if you continue to add more and more people into a sort of talent marketplace, you're actually diluting the experience of all parties involved, right? right? And so in that sense, we feel that, that talent and recruiting as an industry is a services industry uh, yeah. and a social industry, not a tech industry. Right. And so what we always say is like, hey, we build, you know, software to power services companies. And so in that sense, like where LinkedIn starts to falter on the talent side is there's no signal built into LinkedIn anywhere. Like being on LinkedIn says nothing about you. Right. Even if you have a million endorsements, anyone can hand out those endorsements whenever they want. So the only thing that LinkedIn does is serve to amplify existing signals, Harvard, Stripe, Google, right. um, so on and so forth. And so I think, I think when we look at, hey, how can we sort of potentially take down LinkedIn, we really focus on that signaling aspect, right? Like, can we build a million micro LinkedIn's that having access to says a lot about you uh, or a little about you or however much about you, but does say something about you. And focusing on that component, the signaling component, because I think that's what ultimately drives the success of uh, any sort of talent business. I think the, well, first of all, I'm aligned on that. Uh, fun story for any of my followers or anyone who's listening. Uh, in 2018, I attempted it when I was like, so too naive and too dumb to take down LinkedIn. And so oh, that's yeah. why I have like an appreciation for anyone who's going into that market. But one of my first projects didn't really go anywhere, but like I did like a lot of customer research, customer discovery. And I, two things, two patterns I saw, which is, sort of what you touched on one thing, it's almost impossible to unseat LinkedIn as the de facto name search, like people search. Possible. You know, it, it's kind of like the yellow pages of the internet. Yep. People for talent, right? And it's kind of like in, in the physical world, yellow pages were, fro- I mean, were leaped on by LinkedIn because the internet was the revolution that kind of killed yellow pages, right? So unless there's another big revolution like that, that will like sort of be the next level of the internet. LinkedIn's not going to go away unless they implode. That's a different case. But generally, they're the other pages right now. They're prevalent. The other thing I noticed from people was there's two camps of people at the time who told me they were just completely happy. There was a big section of people who were happy with the way LinkedIn worked because they were using it as a social media slash publishing platform, yeah. right? Like the, the people who like to go like LinkedIn viral, that's a whole different camp. You know, yeah. uh, it's, it's a different way. Uh, I reserve my thoughts about them because I'm like, <laughs> that's just... It's just like corny as shit. But yeah, they love it. They love it as because it brings them eyeballs, views, et cetera. Totally. But the most dissatisfied customers in my, in my conversations were the people in startups. And because they knew that these old guard signaling posts were not working for them, right? Because I'm like, I went to Vanderbilt and I'm a startup guy. I don't give a shit. Like I know nobody gives a shit about Vanderbilt or, or Harvard. I mean, maybe Harvard, but like, nobody in startups is like, yeah, let's go recruit this guy because he went to Vanderbilt, right? And the same thing with, you know, other signaling like overtly signaling signal posts people want like subtle identity signals yeah you know like what where do you belong what kind of things you're into like blockchain nfts you know crypto what what are the things that about the future that you take bets on and it's impossible for that information to surface on linkedin in a useful actionable way yeah you know and so that was the part that i took away from it and at the time there was no infrastructure to really act on it you know and so really couldn't get it off the ground but I always felt that that was like a big gap in the market. So definitely agree on that one with you. So another question I have is you, you mentioned, there's a particular tweet that I loved uh, where you mentioned that building a niche audience is extremely valuable and companies are willing to pay to recruit from it, right? I mean, and this kind of goes into your early sort of days of pallet, but you, you mentioned that since launching last month, some early pilot customers are already making more money on pallet than they're on Substack. And now we've had our first 100K owner why do you think building a niche audience is valuable? I think because it's specifically it's definable, right? So 
when you have a definable audience, it lends itself to different products and monetization methods that you could use. So the main reason is that it's sort of self-selecting to an extent and it's definable, right? And so, but if you publish niche content, that usually means that for the majority of people, it's not interesting at all, mm. right? Like, like I think 98% of people don't really care about product management frameworks or no code, right? Like most of these people are sort of like, cool, great. Like I'm going to go watch TikTok. And so by being self-selecting, it's it's both definable and you could make some at least sort of a loose assumptions around quality and sort of judgment and stuff like that, right? Like I could look at your audience and I, I, without even looking at the names of it, I could probably say a lot more or assume a lot more about your audience than Kim Kardashian's audience, right? Like, like there's very little I can say about that. And so for a lot of products and for a lot of, you know, monetization opportunities, that definability and that sort of self-selectability lends itself much better to, yeah, the majority of these sorts of products, right? So like right. if I'm going to go and, and market a position to be head of no-code ops at, at a company, sure, maybe maybe posting to Kim Kardashian's Instagram might work, but it's, it's a lot less certain than, than sort of posting to a hyper-defined audience like yourself. Um, and I think it applies to, to lead gen, it applies to marketing, it applies to sales. You know, obviously I care about recruiting, but yeah, that's really the main thing. It makes it more targeted and, and you know specific. So I know we're about to hit the mark on this, but I have a fun last question. Um, okay. So what do you think Sahil Bloom is doing? First of all, shout out Sahil, like you're a beast, man. All right. But apart from it, what, what do you think, like seriously, what do you think he's doing that's interesting from, from Palette's perspective that you hope other creators can emulate? Yeah. So number one, Sahil, yeah. So like you said, shout out Sahil. He's been one of the most helpful, awesome people to work with um, in this entire journey. I think what Sahil has managed to do really, really well is weave the jobs and the, the palette content into the regular content, right? And so he might sort of say like, hey, here's a, you know, a thread that I've been thinking about or idea that I've been thinking about. And here's a, like a practical way to apply these thoughts with these job posts, right? And so he's managed to like weave that content into his normal slate and, and, and sort of blend the two together and, and really sort of even, even looking at jobs as content, right? Like I found companies that match the ideals that I'm laying out here. So I think that's really the, the core thing that he's managed to do. And which is where we've seen all of the best performers, which is to use palette as an extension of your content rather than a separate pieces of content altogether. So whether that's sort of including a section of jobs at the end of a newsletter, whether that's sort of including is right, like it's all blended. Um, and I think Sahil has been a sort of master at doing that. It's remarkable how consistent he is too, right? Because it, it, it's definitely not an afterthought that he would just add section at his, um, in his newsletter about palette. It feels like it flows really smoothly, really well, because uh, it definitely was an intentional thing. Yeah, with that said, I think you know, that's the end of my question. Actually, sorry, one, one last final fun question. Have you hired someone at Palette via Palette? Yes. yes and how did the process look like? Yeah. Um, it was actually from Sahil's job board. Really? Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah, so that was really cool. Yeah, we just posted the job and we got we got inbound from it. So that was exciting. That was, that was fun. That was awesome. Okay, this is great. So thank you so much, Kai. It was a pleasure chatting with you and, you know, getting to learn a bit more about Palette and also your thoughts on, you know, recruiting as an industry and like all the uh, new developments here. Excited to, you know, continue watching you and awesome. rooting for your team. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Of course. Have a good one. See ya.